0: Colossians 1, beginning at verse 15. This is God's holy and infallible Word. He is, this is speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him, through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. That quite majestic text is our Scripture reading this morning. Brothers and sisters and friends, the very famous pastor Charles Spurgeon gave the following first words. Uh, to his church in London many years ago. And there are words that, that I, as your pastor, feel very comfortable sharing and owning also. Here they are. This is what he said. I would propose that the subject of the ministry of this house, as long as it shall be frequented by worshipers, shall be the person of Jesus Christ. I am never ashamed to call myself a Calvinist. But if I am asked, what is my creed? I reply, it is Jesus Christ. The legacy to which I would pin and bind myself forever, God helping me, is Jesus Christ, who is the arm and the substance of the Gospel, who is in Himself all theology, the incarnation of every precious truth. Friends, everything we do here. At Faith Church, must have Jesus Christ at its center. That has always been my desire. May, with God's help, we achieve that ideal more and more as we worship and work and serve together. Jesus is our rock. Jesus is our foundation. Jesus is our goal. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. Jesus' word is our very life. This new series is all about Jesus. As we loosely follow, uh, as it's been in the bulletin, this John Ortberg book called Who Is This Man? Some of you might be reading it or discussing it along the way in the weeks ahead. That's great. It's certainly not required. These sermons, as always at Faith CRC, will be sought to be founded on Christ's word alone, not on any book by any man. The heading used to summarize this section in our Bibles, which are NIVs, the heading is the supremacy of Christ. The ESV, which is another very good translation of the Bible, has a different heading, the preeminence of Christ. And both of those words describe what we read in these verses. And that is Jesus Christ being exalted. Jesus being lifted up. We're told he is the firstborn over all creation. Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you about that verse. He's the firstborn of all creation. See, Jesus is created. He's the greatest creature, but he's created. And so he's not fully God. But notice... In the NIV, at least, it says he's not the firstborn of creation. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. That he is God, not just a great person, gets crystal clear as Paul goes on. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. All the fullness of God dwells in him. He's the head of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. In this letter to the church at Colossa, Paul is refuting what we call the Colossian heresy. And throughout the book, as he shows the problems with this false teaching, He is exalting Jesus as the supreme answer. And as believers, we we know all of this. We know who Jesus is. He's fully God. He's fully man. We know in the beginning was the Word. By Him all things were created. And we know the Word became flesh. We believe all this about who Jesus is. And we hold to the truths of God's Word despite apparent evidence to the contrary. Despite the fact that so many don't seem to believe in Him. Despite all the problems in the world. Despite attacks against the faith. Sometimes I think we think, well, thank the Lord we don't need to see to believe. Because... Sometimes we don't see much true faith around us. But true faith, we know, is not about that. It's not about seeing. faith, And we understand that. But now, what if I were to say that, in fact, there is compelling evidence around us for the supremacy of Christ? It turns out that despite how alone we can feel as believers in this world, Despite those who trample the name of Jesus, it turns out that there is, I believe, evidence for the absolute supremacy of Jesus. There's evidence for all to see, and everyone has to consider it and respond to it one way or the other. let think of when a normal person dies, when someone dies, and this is very sad to us, but who they were and what they did in their life fades surprisingly quickly from our memories. I mean, in the big scheme of world history, just like a generation or certainly two generations after someone has died, there's no one alive who even knew that person, right? If someone's name and legacy goes on, in history. Almost in every case, it's because by the time that person died, they were already a great man or woman. You think of Alexander the Great, Napoleon, Abraham Lincoln, great in their lifetimes already. When Jesus died on the cross, no one would have said he was a great person. No one outside of Israel would have even known of him. And he had just this small group of followers. And yet, His impact was greater a hundred years after his death than during his life on earth. It was greater yet 500 years later. A thousand years after Jesus' death on the cross, his legacy laid the foundation for most of Europe. Two thousand years later, he has more followers in more nations and languages and cultures than ever. This morning, we're going to consider five specific pieces of evidence for the supremacy of Christ. And then after those five, we're going to look at some takeaways for our lives. Compelling evidence number one. Jesus is the center of history. Not just from our perspective as believers. Not just from the perspective of the church. But from any which way you look at it. Throughout the history of the world, powerful rulers and regimes have always attempted to date the calendar around their rise to power. Roman emperors dated history from the founding of Rome and according to their years of ruling. The French Revolution, they wanted a new calendar that marked the beginning of the Age of Reason. Do you know North Korea still does this today. They date their calendar from the birth of their founder, Kim il Su, That's grandfather of this current dude, Kim Yong-un. So for them, from that date, it's the year 104 right now. Now think about this, Jesus didn't operate by imposing a new calendar for the world based on his arrival. He didn't go in and say, hey, now you're going to start things for me. You know, Luke 2 uses the calendar of the day when it says Jesus was born during the time of Caesar Augustus. And yet look what has happened from total obscurity, from being in the public for only three years, Jesus never ruled as an earthly king over any city or nation, let alone over an empire. But everyone measures history before and after Jesus. Every time we look at a calendar, we're reminded that Jesus' life on earth became the dividing line of history. It's 2015. Why that number? Well, it's that many years since Jesus came. Every date talked about in every single history class, whether it's Mr. Roloff's class at Timothy or a class at a secular university, every single date points to Jesus Christ. You talk about ancient Egypt, you're talking BC. What does BC mean? Before Christ. You talk about the Renaissance or the Civil War or the birth date of every person alive. It's A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord believers and atheists alike date their own life and all of history according to Jesus life. It's incredible. Second, Jesus influence is global. What's typical of religions, all of the other religions, the false religions, that re- they remain centered pretty much around the original homes of their founder. The Buddha founded Buddhism in China, and the overwhelming majority of Buddhists continue to be in China, or at least in Asia. The vast majority of Hindus are in India and Nepal, where Hinduism started. Mohammed founded Islam in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. The vast majority of Muslims are in the Middle East and North Africa, or if they are not, they originally come from the Middle East. The suspects in the Paris shootings were radical Muslims born of Algerian parents. That's North Africa, right near where the center of Islam has always been. Judaism remains centered in Israel as it always has been. Most practicing Jews living in other countries are ethnic Jews with family origins eventually going back to Israel. With Jesus, it's different than all that. He started in Israel, in Jerusalem, among the Jews. He was quickly embraced by non-Jews with the faith Moving across the Mediterranean Sea to Alexandria, Egypt and North Africa, to cities in Greece and Turkey, to Rome, Italy, then barbarians took Jesus to Northern Europe, eventually over to North America. Now, today, most Christians live in the global south and in the far east, totally different from those other places. Jesus' followers are everywhere in every culture and language you can think of. All other religions are very culture bound, but not the Christian faith. You find faith in Jesus in India and in Korea and Nigeria and Spain and Russia, Scandinavia, Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Indonesia, South Africa, Ethiopia, the Philippines. In all these places, you find worship with all kinds of cultural variety but at the same time centered on the cross and resurrection of Jesus. That adaptability in cultures and yet unity of faith in Jesus is astounding. There is nothing else like it in the history of the world. There's nothing even close to it in any other religion out there. So the worldwide spread of Jesus in every culture imaginable is compelling evidence around us of his supremacy. Third, Jesus' ideas and teaching are beyond human categories, and this is evidence of his supremacy. Paul writes in Jesus, all things hold together. Think about this. People claimed Jesus' teachings to practice slavery for many years, And then William Wilberforce saw in Jesus the call to free slaves. Jesus inspired different people in different places. Martin Luther and Martin Luther King Jr. Gandhi in India praised Jesus and Desmond Tutu in South Africa. People have claimed Jesus to try to promote socialism and capitalism alike. Quakers find in Jesus the command to be pacifists. And when Roman Emperor Constantine converted, he went to battle his enemies in Jesus' name. George Washington, Denzel Washington, both believers in Jesus. You think about the last number of U.S. presidents we've had. You think of their various ideologies and personalities, political ideas. Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, both George Bushes, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, every single one of them have called themselves followers of Jesus. People of all sorts claim him and point to his teachings and life as an inspiration for theirs. And that shows us that he is supreme in him. All things do hold together. He's beyond any human attempt at categories. He's completely beyond our little human minds. It's another evidence of his supremacy, and is that even the mistakes of his followers have not stopped him and his influence. You know, I get annoyed at this, and you probably do too, about the world highlighting the blunders of the church in history. And in a lot of cases, the way the world does that, I don't believe the accusations are fair. But in some cases, you know, the Christians Christians, and the church in history have made mistakes. Think of the Inquisition, witch hunts, defending slavery, imperialism, the oppression of native peoples. Sometimes the church resisting science over the centuries. All of those things have been done at times in the name of Jesus. There have been scandals in the church involving money and abuse and adultery. But yet, none of all of the imperfections of Jesus' followers has stopped the spread of the gospel. Jesus' reputation has never been harmed or touched, has it? final piece of evidence for the supremacy of Jesus is that he accomplished the supreme act for mankind's supreme need. In talking about the supremacy of Christ, Paul is especially bringing us there. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the center of his supremacy and his impact. Paul writes, Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of all your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Jesus arrived. In history, he came on the scene to go to the cross so that we would no longer be enemies of God, which is mankind's biggest problem. We're all born in sin. In our text, Paul writes that Jesus is... He talks about the cross, but he also says Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. So he not only died, but he rose again. He came... And He did all that to meet us in our greatest need. The supreme sacrifice for mankind's supreme need. Salvation. To be friends of God again and reconciled to Him. And so, though as believers, we sometimes lament things where the church is at. We feel so isolated where things are at in the world. Though we do that, do not miss the compelling evidence around you of the supremacy of, his, of Christ. Jesus and His Word and His influence, it's visible for all to see, even in a fallen world. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, and maybe if you're a student you remember this quicker than some of us, Uh, He wrote that famous essay, Self-Reliance. And that gives you a very good clue about where his philosophy of life was. He was the father of transcendentalism, a man we would not call a Christian based on his beliefs. But even someone like that recognized the impact of Jesus when he wrote that the name of Jesus has not so much been written as plowed into the history of this world. No one can escape Jesus and his impact. You can see his supremacy in many ways, in many places around us. And I want to conclude tonight, this morning, with four takeaways. I know it's not night. I don't think I've ever done that before. Sometimes at night you say, good morning, but four takeaways from these five pieces of what I believe are compelling evidence for the supremacy of Christ. One. Be assured and be comforted that you're on the right side, that you're on the winning side. May these evidences give assurance to your faith. Sometimes we wonder, right? We doubt. We're feeling like the church and Christians are are getting to be more and more of a minority and it seems to be the case. In in, in a number of ways as we look around us. But, But look at the overwhelming evidence of Jesus' supremacy and be encouraged. Be encouraged because of what verse 23 says. Your faith is established and firm. What we believe, our faith, it stands on a solid rock. The person and the work of Jesus Christ. Second takeaway. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Sometimes we are. We keep it a little quiet. We don't say much. We're fearful. We're embarrassed. We kind of feel like other people at our our work are going to see us as religious fanatics. Well, get those thoughts out of your mind and, and look at the evidence. What we believe and who we worship, that's the truth. That's the way. That is the life. You and I have no reason to be sheepish about following Jesus. Anybody who doesn't acknowledge Jesus should feel that way. Look who he is. Look what he's done and how he's impacted our world and history like no one ever has. Third takeaway. Bow the knee to him. Don't just be amazed at the evidence of his supremacy. Take the next step. Bow before Him. Acknowledge His supremacy as King of kings and Lord of lords. Accept His finished work on the cross, which reconciles you to God. Believe in Him. Give Him your life. This all calls for a response of faith and of worship and praise-filled living every day of our lives. Fourth takeaway, finally, find in Him... All you need. Not only do we believe in Him and we turn to Him, but when we do that, we find in Him everything we need. We don't need to look anywhere else for salvation, for ultimate satisfaction, for ultimate peace, for ultimate hope. You know, I keep getting people coming up to me or sending me an email expressing thanks for my dad's sermon a couple of months ago on Jesus being our only comfort from Lord's Day, one of our catechism. It happened just this Friday morning again. Someone shared with me and said, you gotta, you got to tell your dad the difference that that sermon made for where I was at. Um, and, and I share those things with him, and he's just... Really humbled by that and so grateful for it. Uh, Well, in the absolute supremacy of Jesus, we're reminded also that He is supremely all-sufficient. He is our only comfort. We turn to Christ alone for our salvation. Everything else can be stripped away. And sometimes in life, many or all of these are for people. Family and friends and health and money. Jesus we worship. Jesus who Paul exalts and and lifts up in this text. Jesus is enough. He is supremely able to save you, to provide all you need, to be your only comfort, To save you and keep you going through the storms. As the supremacy of Jesus has made such a difference in our world and in history and in society. And we're going to be seeing more about that in upcoming weeks. But may his supremacy also make all the difference in your life today. As you bow to him as you give him your heart and your life. Amen.